This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Again, that's the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to you for this time that we have together. We are thankful that we have uh, this first day of the week uh, to be set apart uh, to worship you. And Lord, we are thankful that we have this building that we can gather in, and we can do it publicly. Uh, We don't have to hide uh, when we worship you, and and we are thankful that you have provided us this time and this space, and and even this comfort. Uh, But Lord, I pray that this comfort would not Uh, detract from uh, our desire to serve you. Lord, I pray that if all of that weren't true, if we didn't have the comfort and the space uh, and the time allotted to us, we would still fight uh, to come and to worship you. And and I pray that you would give us hearts that truly desire to come and to worship. Father, as we uh, look at this passage, we we feel a weight, uh, but we also um, feel a call. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work and Pastor Ian this morning as he comes to preach. um, I pray that you would fill him uh, with your spirit, that he would uh, be given the words to say, uh, and that you would use him as your mouthpiece, as your vessel, uh, that you would um, give him uh, truthful words to say, that he would preach your gospel in truth and in grace. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with, with us, your people, as we listen. Uh, that, that we would be given ears to hear and hearts to receive, minds to understand these words. 
Lord, as, as there are many of us here who, who have come uh, hurting, uh, come sick, or, or come mourning the loss of loved ones, I pray that you'd be with them. I pray that you would be ministering to us, your people, um, and I pray that you would uh, be giving us grace and, and, and comforting us, uh, giving us peace. Lord, now this morning, I pray that, that we would be blessed uh, by the preaching of your word. I pray that your name would be glorified and that you would be honored uh, by this, this morning, by, by this day. And Lord, I pray that you would receive all glory, honor, and praise in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Dom. And good morning, everyone. I have waited my whole life to have a hurricane named after me. (laughs) And now that I got my wish, now I'm getting a little fearful because I sure hope that it doesn't cause much trauma and damage. I don't want my name attached to it. Well, you just heard the passage of scripture read for you, and when I was a very young man sitting in places like you are sitting, a passage like this always made me squirm, because I thought I was a Christian, I thought I was a believer, I trusted Christ in childhood, but this verse is telling me that I'm supposed to be doing things that I have never done. telling me that I'm supposed to hate my father and my mother, take up my cross, and reject and forsake everything that I own. I'd never done those things. And when Jesus was teaching and preaching and doing miracles and the crowds were growing and the text tells us that A huge crowd was following him, at least following behind him. And he spun around and addressed them. He knew that not everyone in that crowd was truly a follower, although they may have been following behind. Jesus was never deluded into thinking that just because he had a lot of people attaching themselves to him, that necessarily everything was going well for them spiritually. That Jesus was calling people one by one, if anyone will come after me, the text says. And he was never fooled into thinking that just because people were trailing behind him, that they were fully engaged John Wesley famously came to the American colonies, to Georgia, and in 1736, the day after he landed near Savannah, he wrote in his diary a conversation that he had with someone. It was a minister, a minister that was supposed to be overseeing his work as a missionary with he and his brother. And the minister said, I have a few questions for you. Do you know Jesus Christ? (laughs) And Wesley thought to himself, do I know Jesus Christ? I'm a a missionary. 
Of course, he's the, he's the savior of the world. To which the reply was, yes, but is he your savior? And Wesley had to write in his diary, I wasn't sure how to respond, and I don't even know whether the response I gave to him was a genuine one. And it wasn't until a few years later that a spiritual light bulb went on, and he connected all of the dots, and his life was transformed by the grace of God in an instant. That came after he was a missionary. So I struggle with passages like we have just read. Because in fact, in the literal sense, I have not done these things. They're unreal expectations. I'm supposed to hate my father and mother, my brothers and my sister, my wife. If I did that, I'd be going against the fifth commandment. How can that be? I became a Christian when I was a young boy, and my mother reminds me, reminded me many years later that I came home. My father was not a churchgoer. He, he was not the one who brought us to Sunday school and church. And my, my mother was sweating bullets when I announced to my father, oh, I'm a Christian boy now. But imagine if I had been introduced to a text like this. I'm a Christian boy now. Now I'm accountable to Jesus. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Matter of fact, the Bible tells me I'm supposed to hate you. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. And then the verse that says I'm supposed to pick up my cross daily and follow him. I'm supposed to pick up my cross, I thought he picked up his cross for me. I thought he bore my sins on the cross. This text tells me I have a cross to bear. And then maybe the most frightful one at all that comes in verse 33 at the end of the passage, sort of a summary statement. Therefore, you cannot be my disciple unless you Renounce all that you have. It wasn't too many years before this that I had my first job as a paper boy. I remember very vividly emptying my pockets the first day, putting the money down on my father's bed, and counting it up. Eight dollars and twelve cents. The long-term memory hangs with you. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, well, I wonder where this is going to lead. I wonder what it will be next week and the week after. I knew what my father made. My mother told me, I wonder if I'll ever make that much. And then to read a verse that says, I am supposed to give up and sacrifice and renounce everything that I have. And was I willing to sacrifice all of the potential and the ideas and the hopes and dreams that I had for the future? 
in order to be a disciple of Jesus? And worse yet, if I didn't do those things, did that disqualify me from heaven? No wonder I was squirming. But I didn't know, as I know now, I didn't know all about hyperbole. I didn't know that Jesus would often say things in an exaggerated way, an intentionally exaggerated way, to make his point. Now I know better. Now I understand this passage a little bit better. But it still makes me squirm. Because I still know that I often am not living up to its expectations. Jesus famously said in the Sermon on the Mount, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Well, if we all did that, you know, the world would be a, full of a lot of one-eyed Christians. If your hand offends you, cut it off. He cannot mean that seriously and literally. What I didn't realize is that, no, he, he doesn't mean it literally. But he means business. It's intended to make you and me really think deeply about what's important in life and what our priorities are, are and where Jesus fits into that whole scenario. He is the master. He is the king of kings, and he is Lord of our lives, and we owe him everything. God is calling us to have a completely different view of things, not from our own view and not from the world's view, but to see things as God sees them. If I was preaching this sermon 30 years ago, I would call it a paradigm shift, a complete rethinking of the perception and we would understand then that this verse is saying, in comparison to your love for God and your love for the master, your earthly love for your family and your wife and your children pales in comparison. Picking up your cross means we are all given responsibilities and tasks in this life. We are all dealt different issues. And you and I, not to earn our salvation, not to win his approval, but to think deeply about the problems and the issues of life and pick those things up and carry them because God intends us to, to carry them. Renouncing all that I have doesn't mean necessarily that I give away everything. And I used to cringe when I heard stories like George Mueller, who wouldn't take a salary, and all of the money he ever received, he turned right around and gave it away to Christian organizations and orphanages and to things like that in response to a passage like this. But if we have a different perspective on our, on our resources, we understand, hey, it's not mine in the first place. It's not my possessions. It's not my bank account, not my 403B. 
That's a 401k to you. It's not my possessions, not my boat, not my car, not my house. It's all God's. I'm simply a steward of it. I'm borrowing it for a little while. And in my mind and in my heart, I have released those things to him so that I don't get worked up when things aren't going my way and some of those resources are slipping away. I see the stock market declining and I wish I had more. No, because it's all God's. It's his possession. Of course I love my mother and my father and my brothers and my sisters and my wife. Commanded to do those things, but in comparison to my love for Christ, whole different thing. Of course, Jesus paid it all, and he bore my sins on the cross, but I have my own cross to bear, responsibilities, issues, problems. They're mine. They're not yours. You have yours. I have mine. My job is to pick my cross up, and all of my possessions ultimately belong to the Lord. I didn't learn that right from the beginning. Right from the get-go. It's taken me all of these years for some of these things to sink in. That's what discipleship is. But wait, my notes say. Still sounds like it's all up to me. I thought my salvation depends on Christ's finished work. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. But in this passage, Jesus is not talking about salvation, conversion, new life, forgiveness, heaven. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about discipleship. Three times in the passage, he says, unless you do these things, you cannot be my disciple. A disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice, someone who is enrolled in a process, a program of training, someone who's getting more and more insight into how to become more and more like the master. Salvation is a free gift. That's once for all. You either have it or you don't. You don't work for it. You don't spend a lifetime trying to attain it. It's something that you possess or you don't. It either is yours or it isn't. You've either trusted Christ once and for all and settled that matter once and for all or you haven't. The hymn writer says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The wonderful hymn, To God Be the Glory, in the second stanza. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And we just sang a hymn today about the grace of God. And the hymn writer and the songwriter said, Will you this moment... That grace receive? You've either accepted it or you haven't. You've received it or you haven't. 
In my life experience, that happened very early in my, in my upbringing. I was trained for several years before I made that decision. I was being discipled before I became a believer. And then afterward, I continued to be discipled. Matter of fact, I'll share something with you folks that I didn't share at 9 o'clock because I had a little extra time. Many of you would say, well, I grew up in a church and a denomination that didn't really teach the gospel like, like they should have. But I learned the love of God. I learned that God's word, the Bible was God's word. I learned about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I learned about his grace. I learned, in fact, that Jesus died on the cross to take away my sins. In fact, the church I grew up in made such a big deal about that that they had Jesus still on the cross. Then some of you would say, and then a light bulb went on. Then I was introduced to a personal relationship with Christ. And all of those things fit together. And I connected the dots and I became a Christian. I became a child of God. I just want you to notice. I want you to remember. All of those years you were being discipled. Before you came to know the Savior. Then, then, you, become, then you come to know the Savior and then you continue to be discipled. Conversion, salvation, being born again, saying yes to Jesus, becoming a child of God, becoming a Christian, whatever terminology you want to use, that's a moment in time. The whole rest of the story is a lifelong process that never ends. And the result of all of that is that our lives are forever changed. Discipleship is a lifelong process of following Jesus, being enrolled in a perpetual school with no semester breaks, with a commitment to show up every day, to study hard, to do your homework, to get evaluated every once in a while and pass a test, to make mistakes, pick yourself up when you fail, then carry on, all the while fanning the flames of your passion for service, honing your spiritual gifts, squeezing the most out of every day, out of love for the master more and more. And at the end of your life, you look back and say, I not only trusted Christ as my Savior and my Redeemer and my sins were atoned for, but I also had the privilege of becoming more and more like the master. And I signed up for that lifelong class, course. And now I'm ready to hear from the master, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why we're not surprised by in the following verses, he uses these two simple allegories to drive his point home. His point being that in order to have a fulfilled Christian life, to have the life that God intended for you to have, 
you need to be willing to pay the price. You need to know how to roll with the punches to adjust your situation according to the environment and to follow through and to orient yourself to the master's plan. Then he uses a couple of illustrations. Number one, you want to build a tower? I'm not talking about salvation because you cannot build a, a tower by your own effort and expect to get to heaven. There is no stairway to heaven. This is the tower of your life. The hymn writer says, take my life and let it be consecrated to you. So if you're going to build a tower, do you have everything you need? Have you made the preparations? Do you have the right materials at hand? Have you thought through every stage of that building? Do you know how you're going to do the foundation and how you're going to do the superstructure, how you're going to put the roof on? And by the way, what you're going to do in the coming years to maintain it so that the tower doesn't fall over in five years? Do you even have a reason for the tower to be built? Or are you just going to find yourself building a foundation that isn't a good foundation in the first place and then not have what it takes to finish the project? And then the text says that everyone walking by will laugh and scoff and mock. Look at you. You couldn't even finish it. You couldn't even pull it off. Your life is a mess. And by the way, there are lots of Christians who, and I want to be theologically correct here, they know the Lord. They're born again. They're saved. They're redeemed. And they're going to be in heaven because Christ died for their sins and they know it. But meanwhile, their lives are in shambles because they couldn't build their tower. They couldn't really sit down and say, hey, I'm going to build a whole life here. And when I get to the end of my life, I want to look back and say, wow, look what God did through me by his grace. That's why the world sometimes looks at us and scoffs and rolls its eyes and says, why would I want to be a Christian? If I was a Christian, I'd have to be like him or her. What's the attraction? Or the other metaphor, two kings going to war against one another. The text isn't absolutely crystal clear. Is the first king going against the, the second king, or is the, is the other king attacking the first one? Not absolutely crystal clear. The usual assumption is it's the, it's the second one. But in either case, you don't get into a war unless you think that you have a reasonable expectation that you're going to win it. Just read the papers. You're going to look like a fool if you can't pull it off. If you don't count the cost, if you don't get all your ducks in a row and see, how am I going to fight this enemy? It would be better, the text say, would just, just, just kind of give up and 
send a delegation and try to make peace the best you can and make the best of a, of a bad situation. That's better than just being blown away. And you really look like a fool. What's interesting to me about these two illustrations, it seems to me they look at it from two different perspectives. One, a positive side, the building side, the creating side, making something happen, being productive. The other one looks at it from the negative side, being, being, uh, uh, being defensive, being able to roll the punches and handle whatever life gives to you whether it's the attacks of Satan or your own inner foolishness or the circumstances of your life bearing down on you. In either case, you've got to sit down and cost and, 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 and figure out what the cost is, roll up your sleeves, and go about the business of being the man or woman that God called you to be. That's what it means to be a disciple. And it never ends. If you thought for a moment that I ever look at myself in the mirror and say, boy, it's nice to be an old guy, because I got it all figured out now. I've been in class my whole life. And I got some pretty good grades along the way. Got some few things to be proud of. Can't wait to see Jesus. He's good. Well, well done. Oh, I've been waiting for you. Wow. As I used to joke, you know, when you get to heaven, you don't want to be standing behind Billy Graham. And, he, and then you're next. <laughs> it's a lifelong thing. I'm ashamed, still ashamed when I read a passage like this and say, I don't love the master fully like I should. I still get my priorities out of whack and I make a big deal about things that shouldn't matter and they cloud my image of the master. I still get worked up about things that I shouldn't get worked up about. I know the peace of God. I know what that feels like. And yet, it's like I took the test and I flunked it. I've got to go back to school again. Lord, teach me again. Teach me more. Well, discipleship is a lifelong process. It never ends. And if you're enrolled in that lifelong course, then God will take you by the hands. He'll re he'll, he will redeem you first. He'll take away your sins, view you as holy and righteous. He will exchange your unrighteousness for righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. He'll give you the hope and the prospect of eternal life. He'll give you his Holy Spirit. Yes, all of those things, of course. That happens just by saying yes. But the whole rest of it, up to you and me. We're the ones that are supposed to put all of these priorities in order. Nobody can do it for us. And you can look around all the time and say, well, at least I'm doing better than him or her. And that's, that in itself is a mixed priority, is, is, is ill-suited. 
supposed to be looking to the master. And if you do that day by day by day, your life will really count. You will be a productive, growing Christian, fulfilling dreams and expectations that you could never, never imagine. I shared briefly the, with the people at the 9 o'clock service just a reflection on, on, you know, being a little boy then being like me now. I can remember looking, looking forward and saying, Lord, I don't know if I can make that sacrifice. I don't know if I have it within me to do those things. I don't even know if I want to. And the sacrifices, they're picking up my cross. Oh, Lord, don't give me anything more than what I can handle. And by the way, I look around, you know, our church. Most of you carry burdens that I know nothing about. And I wouldn't want to trade places with most people that I know. At least I know my own crosses to bear. But whatever God has put on your plate, well, that's what you have to deal with. And God says, pick it up and carry it. But I look back at all of those sacrifices. I heard stories of people, oh, you know, any sacrifice I ever made was well worth it. The things I gave up, the things I said no to, the things where I, you know, I, I yielded my life to the Lord, and it was all worth it. I used to think, sit there and think, oh, yeah, right. Now I can look back and, and look back on my life and say, all of that stuff I used to worry about and it was appealing to me and attractive to me and the, th the things that I thought would give me joy and happiness absolutely pale in comparison to knowing the love of Christ, experiencing his blessing, and knowing that he has me in the, in the palm of his hand day by day, and I wouldn't trade that for anything, for anything. Those of you who are a little bit older, you probably know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it. You know, those of you who are coming along, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, I'm better when I'm following the Lord. I'm, I'm better when I'm actually being discipled. I'm on the right track. I'm not getting off the rails. This passage says you keep doing that until the Lord takes you home. There are a couple more verses in this text. And this morning I said to the people at 9 o'clock, I couldn't decide whether or not I wanted to, well, either discard those verses or include those verses in the sermon or wait until we sing our closing songs and then give you the last couple of verses. And that's what I did at 9 o'clock. That's what I'm going to do for you. So we're going to take a break. We're going to pray. We're going to sing some hymns. And then I'm going to come back up. Some of you are going to think, he's not going to start preaching again, is he? <laughs> Just a little tiny bit. Real short. The last couple of verses are a wonderful conclusion of this whole text. In fact, some theologians say, well, 
What's the connection between those verses and, and what precedes? Well, I'll show you the connection. And it's a good way to send us off with a commitment to serve the Master. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, first of all, of course, your salvation, which is so rich and so free. The hymn writer says, Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. Indeed, Jesus paid it all. But, Father, beyond that, we thank you and we praise you that you allow us to be a part of your kingdom work. You've given us an assignment in this world. You've given us wonderful opportunities to be a conduit of your love and your grace. You've given us the spiritual enablements, the spiritual gifts, so that we could serve with effectiveness and divine power. And you've given us the Holy Spirit. What a privilege it is to be a disciple of the Master. To that end, Lord, we commit ourselves afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.